we're looking at the carbon capture in our soils, so, soil and our grass. So that's taking soil samples from all three golf courses um, and we should get the, the results of this quite soon. We're still in the early stages of this, but it's be interesting to see what carbon capture there is on our golf courses. Welcome to Golf Sustainability, the podcast dedicated to advancing sustainability of the environment and the game of golf for future generations. Hosted by Golf Sustainability founder, John Fiella. The Golf Sustainability podcast will feature conversations with industry leaders on the environmental and social issues impacting the future of the game. Let's tee off. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to the Golf Sustainability podcast. We've got a very special episode today as my guest is Craig Both, Head of Sustainability at Carnoustie Golf Links in Scotland. As one of the first superintendents in the industry, or maybe in the world for that matter, who's been named Head of Sustainability in his role, I know we're going to have a really interesting conversation. Welcome, Craig. It, it's uh, great to have you on the Golf Sustainability Podcast. John, thanks for inviting me. Really looking forward to this. Yeah, I we had the opportunity to get to meet personally when I was out at Carnoustie last month, and it was a glorious day, and what a beautiful golf course. It, it's really a, a very special place, and it was nice to meet you. Oh, good. It was nice to meet you as well, John. Hopefully the golf lived up to the, the weather that day. Yeah, we won't discuss my score, Craig. <laughs> But hey, listen, why don't we get started by having you tell us a little about yourself, your career journey in, in the industry, and what's led up to your current work as uh, head of sustainability at Carnoustie? And so it really started off from school. I, I, I looked at going into farming. My family had a, a farm, um, and I spoke to my, my parents about that. My mum was saying, look, there's no money in farming. And I used to go and play golf with my dad. And it really went from there. I, I was out playing golf one day and I saw uh, these greenkeepers building a bunker. And they had a tractor as well, which enticed me. And it, it was from there, I just decided to go into, I wanted to go into greenkeeping. Um, and then at, at high school, we used to get a work experience, so you would, you would leave the school for a week and and work, work away. And I managed to persuade John Philp, who was the superintendent at the time, um, if he would let me work for a week. Uh, I took a, a wee bit of persuasion, but I managed to get working here for a week. Uh, that was in 1995. And then I worked my Easter holidays and I came back for my October holidays. And I've managed to get, at the time, was a, a YT, a youth trainee position here. So I was in 1996. And then from there, just got taken on it then as an apprentice. And then kind of, we've got three golf courses here. So I've worked on all three courses, the the Budden course, the Burnside course, and of course the championship course. Uh, so I worked on all three. And... Yeah, I managed to get a deputy's position on the Burnside course, a deputy head greenkeeper. And then in 2006, I managed to get the deputy head greenkeeper's role on the championship course. And of course, the Open was in 2007. And then, kind of fast forward a few years, the guy that was head greenkeeper on the championship, Sandy Reid, who's now director of uh, greenkeeping at St Andrews, 
he moved up to a superintendent and then I managed to get the headman's role in the championship uh, championship course, So, which was good. Of course, saw a few tournaments on the way, like the Seniors Open. And of course, the Open in 2018, that's when I was kind of course manager for then. Uh, and then Sunday left the boat at St Andrews after the Open and I managed to become superintendent. At 20, the start of uh, end of 2018, 2019. And then I've, this kind of new role came up as head of sustainability, and it's a really exciting role to, to get into. I think this is where all golf courses all around will we'll start looking at these things eventually. So it was great to be offered the role and, and get my teeth into something like this. That's great. It's So as a young guy, this started as a dream. You see someone fixing a bunker and you say, Hey, I think I want to do that. And I love the story about how you approached the head greenskeeper and convinced him to let you work there for a week. I it took a while. It took a while to convince him, but yeah, I managed to get my foot in the door and it was kind of history from there. Good for you. It sounds like you really are living the dream and it's great to, it's great to hear so many people that I talk to in different industries that wind up with careers in sustainability have been, have been inspired very early on in their career to pursue that, to sue that, pursue that passion. And it's interesting to, to see how that's the case for you. So how did the role or the title change of, to a head of sustainability come about? What was behind that? I think there's a lot of different things. I cover, it's not only sustainability, but I cover like health and safety and things like that as well. And I think that's where I would say over the last, what, 10, 15 years that greenkeeping's changed a little bit. You get taken away from the tough side of things to look at other matters like health and safety and sustainability and trying to save money, trying to save electricity, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's where things have changed a little bit. My, my mind and my, my time was taken up on other things rather than actually on the turf. Mm. There was not a natural progression to go into sustainability. That's great. So... Let's talk a little bit about what sustainability means at Carnoustie. The course has incredible heritage. I believe it's over 500 years old. Tell us a little bit about the kind of the heritage of the, the courses themselves and give us some background on Carnoustie. Yeah, Carnoustie's got a great history behind it. You go way back to the, the first 10 holes laid out by Alan Robertson. Of course, Alan Robertson is primarily the reason why the Open Championship gets played. That's, he was the greatest golfer of the time, and, and when he died, they had to find the, the next champion golfer. Of course, after Alan Robertson, you've got the greats in the name. You've got old Tom Morris was here, you've got Bob Simpson, and of, of course, James Braid. James Braid pretty much kind of laid out the course the way it is now. And Canusti is here. It's a great course. The bunker in at Canusti has not changed in as many years, everything is, is pretty much the same way as what it was way back then. Yeah, that, that must have been a real special experience for you to be able to oversee things during an Open Championship. Yeah, I've been involved in three Opens. The first one being 99, when Kanuski came back from a 24-year absence from 75. Of course, the, a lot of people know it for the collapse of Van de Velde, but... I always forget the Paul Laurie story coming through qualifying at Downfield, a local course, and then coming through and coming back from 10 shots behind and, and winning the Open. And then 2007, the Harrington-Garcia fight in the playoff. 
and then more Molinari in 2018. Uh, and of course, you forget about Tiger. Tiger just about came back, which was a story in itself. Yeah, there's been a lot of great tournaments here at Carnoustie, and it's, it's always a privilege to be part of that. That's great. So tell us a little bit about the environmental work that's gone on over the years and what to what extent has the environment been a focus of Carnoustie and its history? I think it, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and a lot of golf courses will be the same. They, they do things because that's the way they've been brought up and taught, like saving materials such as soil and turf and using it elsewhere and, and things like that, but cutting back on areas that need managed, uh, letting areas rewild, things like that. We've done that for years. Any other golf course, as I said, we, we don't shout about it too much. We need to be shouting about things a bit more. But yeah, we, we have always uh, made sure we're doing things the right way and not overfeeding, not overwatering, trying to be as cute with materials as much as possible. Yeah. So at golf sustainability, the way we're really defining things, Craig, is that there are, and you and I have talked about this, there are environmental dimensions of sustainability, but then there are also social dimensions to sustainability. And I know Carnoustie has a pretty extensive community benefit program. Can you talk a little bit about what Carnoustie does from that perspective on the social side with its community benefit program? Yes, Carnoustie regained charitable status in 2015, and 2014, 2015. And since then, we've given over a quarter of a million back to the community, the nations, but there's also other things such as health and things like that as well. Um, there are other things that people don't see. We play host to a, a group called Carnoustie Memories. So these are, are people that have got dementia and, and it's bringing these people together. Other things that we do are with association with disabled golfers, encouraging them to play golf. And, it, and of course, our junior side, we have over 300 juniors trying to practice golf, to learn golf here, which is, a, I think it's probably the one of the biggest in the country. They get free lessons and get shown the right way to play golf. And, it's not about the rules and, and things like that. It's also about having fun and get, being involved and getting involved with each other and making new friends and things like that. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. And it's fascinating, but it's a great idea. The idea of courses giving free lessons to get youth into the game. It's a wonderful idea. And I hope we see more courses in the U.S. picking up on that. And the work you've done to make the course more accessible to the physically disadvantaged. That's a, I think that's a really important topic. And one of the guests we have on, on an episode of the golf sustainability uh, podcast is Dave Barton, who's executive director of the national Alliance for accessible golf. And I think that's a really important cause that more and more people need to get behind. So it's really great to hear about the work that you've done since 2015, when Carnoustie achieved that that charitable status. Yeah, there's some other things as well. John introduced a, a, another forward tee, a, a black tee at Carnoustie, and it, it's you know there's a lot of people want to play courses like here, and they feel that they can't play because they're not as good at golf or things like that. And, and this forward tee gives them a chance to feel the course and play it the way it, it should be played. We also changed our. our, our Tea, like we have colored teas here and we changed our red tea 
to a green tea, like the red is often like so often associated with with uh, female golfers, but changing it from red to green is just made like a lot of senior players play off these forward tees without the stigma being attached. It's about here, it's about letting everybody enjoy the, the golf course, no matter what kind of ability you are at. Yeah. What a subtle but thoughtful change to make the course more inviting to people that maybe don't hit it as hit it as long. I'll be looking out for those green tees the next time <laughs> I <laughs> the next time I play Craig. Tell us about some of the current sustainability initiatives that you have underway or maybe what you've completed recently. Like I said earlier, we've done a lot of, of things over the past that we don't shout about. We just get on with it and do things. There's, when we rebuild bunkers every year, we take the material out of the faces and we'll mix this about, we'll let it rot down a little bit and then we'll, we'll screen it to make a, a divot mix for its divots on the fairways and things like that. We'll also reuse that soil for any turfing jobs that we have to do. But other, th- other things out in the course, we have gorse management, we have tree management. Uh, this winter past, we actually replanted a thousand trees in the golf course. Uh, just we had a wind farm cable come through our land and we lost 200 trees, but we decided to plant a thousand trees rather than replant the 200, we went to a thousand. So th- things like that, we're doing things like this all the time. Yeah. I've heard of replacing two with every one that you remove. And in your case, you replaced five with every one yeah. that you removed. And that that's that's excellent. How about going forward? What are some of the sustainability projects that are on the horizon at Carnoustie? Yeah, it's one of those. We're, we're always looking at our, our, our land here and we're custodians of the links. We look after it for the people, the, the future generations. One of the projects we've got coming up is... COVID kind of played a big part in stopping things and we need to get back back and start going again. Uh, we've got a, a pond management, uh, a five-year pond management plan. We've got a few ponds and a big lake out on the button course. So it's making sure that we're cleaning these areas out. We've got a lot of swans and ducks and different other birds and uh, habitat, the lynx. So it's making sure that these have got areas to breed in. Other things we're looking at is bees on the golf course for producing our own honey. Um, through this company, we also make our own drink through gorse bushes, which is very tasty. I don't know if you managed to get a taste of that when you were here. Maybe the other stuff you were tasting, I don't know. I got a taste of being in the gorse. I didn't get much <laughs> of a taste of the gorse drink. <laughs> uh, and then other things... We, we do uh, a little bit of work with RNA. We're into a five-year uh, program, uh, biodiversity program that covers uh, looking at our the wildlife on the course, whether it be amphibians, birds, and we're also doing a we're looking at the carbon capture in our soils, uh, so in our so- soil and our grass. So that's taking soil samples from all three golf courses, and we should get the, the results of this quite soon. We're still in the early stages of this, but it's be interesting to see what carbon capture there is on our golf courses. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you led with a, a perfect segue into key partnerships, right? Because what I've experienced, Craig, is in other industries is that sustainability is a journey and you can't be successful by yourself. You have to have partners 
be it associations, be it supplier partners, be it peers to help accomplish your goals. And there are a couple of key partnerships that um, I'm familiar that you have that I'd like to get into. And the first was the one you referenced with the RNA. And when we were in Scotland, I had a chance to visit the the golf museum there at St. Andrews that's organized by the RNA. And I was very impressed with their commitment to sustainability. Talk to us a little more about this five-year project. Maybe give us a little more detail on what it's involved. And I do want to ask you a follow-up question on this carbon capture project because it's the first I've heard of something along those lines. Yeah, so the work with the the RNA is over a a number of venues throughout the UK. Uh, And of, of, of course, we're happy to be one of those venues but it's just looking at wildlife on the course and just taking account, seeing what you have there. As I said, from birds to amphibians, um, to other like bugs and things like that. It's really having a deep dive in and seeing what we what actually is on our land. It's other other stuff. We also work with army agronomists, taking data collection and things like that. But the other thing is we're the carbon capture. This is it's all good having a look at trying to reduce your electricity and things like that. But we've got a lot of green space here, green space and trees and gorse and whatnot. It'd be good to get a calculation of what actually is getting captured here. So working with the army, it's brilliant. Um so Hopefully, as I said, we should see results soon and see what we are capturing on the courses here. Yeah, that's great. I I love the idea of trying to capture and document with data the environmental benefits of having golf courses in place. Yeah. Because there are many and the industry at large really has not done a good job of kind of telling that story. So I'll be very interested in hearing more about that test and maybe even connecting with some of the folks at the RNA to get more background on that project. No, I'm good. Yeah. How about GEO? I I, I believe you're GEO Foundation certified. Tell us a little about the partnership you have with GEO and how that's evolved over time and how it works. Yeah, GEO worked with GEO since, I think think it was about uh, 2011. Um, and we're first certified, all three golf courses here were certified in 2013. Um, we were recertified 2016 and then 2019. I lose track of time, actually. Uh, and then we're, we're ready to go again. We've worked, yeah, as I said, we've worked over the years with Geo. This is data capture of electricity from our, our restaurant and clubhouse to greenkeeping sheds and also fuel usage from machinery to other things on the course such as fertilizer use, water usage through irrigation. So yeah, we'll we try to capture all that and uh, we'll try to, uh, try to better ourselves every year if we can. You can't always do that, but we look to try and make, reduce things here and there. Yeah, that's interesting. So it, it sounds like it's very data focused. It sounds like you're getting metrics and measures in uh, various uh, areas of the course, be it water, be it chemicals, be it soil. And then you're measuring your progress over time, which what I've learned about progress and sustainability is that it really is all about the data. It's about capturing good data 
and then uh, monitoring the effects of initiatives that that you put in place. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got to work with other partners with that as well. We're looking. We we work well with John Deere and Greenbird as well. It's you need these people to help you along the way, and and that's same with fertilizer companies and things like that as well. You need their help with too. Yeah. Let's talk a little more about that, Craig, because once again, based on my prior experience in other industries, supplier partnerships, effective supplier partnerships are essential. You're counting on them to develop and introduce new technologies. You're counting on them to develop and introduce methods that will help improve efficiency and effectiveness. You mentioned Rainbird and John Deere. What what do those partnerships and relationships look like? Tell us about how you work with John Deere and how you maybe help influence what they're coming out with and how they work with you to get your input on what they're developing. Yeah, so we've got a, a tie-up with John Deere, uh, and, and that includes Rainbird as well. And um, to be fair, the guys at John Deere listen. They listen to what? what you'd like in a more if something's fine that companies will just build the machine and you, you you have to get used to it where it's John Deere are listening to to what we are saying and, and uh, bringing things to the that would help us and we're looking at future technologies and we're helping them with prototypes and things like that which is it's great to be involved in and I know the the guys working out in the golf course enjoy that seeing something from the start to, to hopefully the finish that's Great enjoyment. Um, with Rainbird, Rainbird, the, there's just been a new irrigation system installed on in the championship course. And with that, I'll help on savings of water, savings of run times, and precision water usage, just getting things in, in the areas that you need it. That's it's all good stuff, all futuristic stuff. And it's great that we get a chance to use all that. Really good. That's great. Listen, I think that suppliers that take a focus on helping you be successful and helping you accomplish your goals is really what it's all about. And it sounds that's the type of relationship that you have with with both John Deere and Rainbird. Lots of people will be listening to this that maybe have not started their journey as of yet, but they're saying, hey, we want to be more environmentally responsible. We want to start our sustainability journey. What are the what are the types of things that you'd suggest for someone who's listening to this episode who wants to get started at their course? Those little gains you can and wins you can make here and there. The thing of recycling soil or recycling your grass and soil together, mixing it up, causing a bit of mulch. That could be future divot mix things that we do. Um, but there's also you know, looking at areas on the golf course, do you really need to cut the, the, that area? Can it be left to grow wild? Do you need to spray it? Can you leave that to go, grow wild as well? Just little things here and there. You know, I think sometimes we look at trying to make things too nice. If it does go wild, then it, you're creating a habitat for animals, different types of animals and things like that. So, yeah, there is little things you can do here and there, and it doesn't cost the earth. It's just something you can do by just changing a routine or cutting the greens a different way, which could maybe lead to saving fuel or other things like that. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I've heard I've heard people talk about what in the states we call here the Augusta effect. And Augusta, people watch the Masters and they see this beautiful, pristine course. 
and they want theirs to be like that. So one of the things I hear from superintendents is that when they talk or explore implementing sustainability initiatives at their course, they get pushback from members who want the place to look perfect. Have you had any, what's your reaction to that notion? Have you experienced that at, at Carnoustie? And what's the mindset of, by and large, the people that play frequent, frequently around the balance between what the course is going to look like and the sustainability of the course? I think in most Green Heroes up and down the UK would kind of acknowledge that Augusta effect. I think we get that every year, and it's always a hard time of the year. When the Masters is being played, it's always quite cold and windy, there's no growth, and you're struggling for growth. And I think a lot of golfers going to the local golf course expect that just after watching the Masters, which is it's quite hard. It's quite hard. They're expecting the greens to be running about 13 and not a lot of courses can do that. And it's why would they want to do that? And I think like nine and a half is a good speed for greens here, especially in Scotland, where the wind can pick up and things like that. Yeah, I think golfers' expectation has probably risen over the years. And it's probably down to the amount of golf that's on TV now. They're, they're seeing a golf course in tournament condition every week and, and coming, rocking up to the golf course, your local golf course expecting. Tournament conditions, it's hard on the greenkeeper. And it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you just have to get the course where you yeah, expect it. It's a, it's a challenge. Listen, golf sustainability, we've just launched. We're new and we're really focused on the courses themselves and people like yourself, Craig. But at some point, there may be an opportunity for broader consumer education on this topic, which I'm excited about pursuing at, at the right time. So I, we've covered a lot of ground here and I really like at, at the end of my uh, conversations with, with podcast guests is to really maybe ask some things that are off topic to get a better sense for who, for who our guest is. I'd like to, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions that are not golf specific. And we know you had a dream to get into this when you were a young boy, but what is it that drives you? What, what drives Craig both? Um, I think when I first started out in greenkeeping, just the being outside in all weathers, it's one of the greatest offices in the world, being out in the golf course. And I know people that are maybe not in greenkeeping, but like to play golf, they would probably want to be out there all the time. It's It can be a lonely place at times, but it's also, it's great fun as well. Just getting up in the mornings for the sunrise, it's... It's brilliant. You can't beat it. Nobody on the golf course, you're just cutting grass or, or raising bunkers or whatever. You're just, it's a great place to be, especially early in the mornings. Wow. You love what you do. And calling it the greatest office in the world, that's, I've never heard it described that way, but I'll tell you what, man, that resonates. Um, <laughs> so who has, who's inspired you? Who would you say has been your greatest inspiration, Craig? Yeah, there's, there's been many people over the years. Back to John Philp, the old superintendent. Yeah, great bit of inspiration there. Kind of, you always wanted to be like him. He enjoyed his work. He was never away from the place. I was kind of like that myself. Other people over the years, Sandy Reid, good friend of mine. I always used to have a great, great fun on the golf course. Even though you're at work, you, you always have a good laugh. And yeah, there's there's other. Other people at different courses, just 
it's a great it's a great or uh, a great business to be in to meet loads of different people up and down the country abroad over with you guys there's loads of different characters out there and it's green keeping is, is one of those jobs that is just it, it grabs you there's, there's so many people like i mentioned that have helped me through the way yeah I, I get something from everybody that i meet everybody's got a different story and it's yeah inspires you a little bit more that's great what what's what would you say is the biggest challenge in your career that you've had to you've had to overcome? Jeez, uh, dad died when I was uh, nineteen. That was quite a hard time, and it was six weeks before the open in nineteen ninety nine. And I think it was something my dad was looking forward to. Kind of, he was really looking forward to the open coming back to Canusti, but also with myself working there, it was it was quite hard. But you know what? When they talk about the Open, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a great tournament. It's, that's what got me through my dad's death as well. But, yeah, that was quite hard. And most greenkeepers will know this. When you've worked at a big tournament, any tournament, it's you, you feel down after the tournament because there's such a release of excitement to, to work in a tournament and then you feel down the next day. But it's, yeah, it was quite a hard time. Quite a hard time. Yeah, I could just I could just imagine having lost my dad quite some time ago. I I know what you're relating to, and I can say with confidence, I'm sure he's looking down and he's very proud of what he sees in his boy. You you said something earlier on that I just made a note on, and it said you consider yourself custodian of the links, and you feel it's your obligation to look after Carnoustie for future generations, and that. That resonated with me because ensuring golf, the game of golf for future generations is what golf sustainability is all about. When things are set down the road and people are talking about Craig Bolt's impact on the game, what is it that you'd like to leave behind for future generations, Craig? I don't know, really. As I said, you look back at the history of Canoosti Golf Links over 500 years, not just us. A small blip in that that kind of journey, and there'll be many more small blips of people over the next few years as well. It's um, the kind of we just need to keep the golf courses going and hand on to the next person. That, that's all you can do in life. As long as you leave it a little bit better than what what you found it, that's all you can do. That's great, Craig. I can't thank you enough for being a part of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. You've done great work throughout your career. Very excited to hear more about how things progress in your new role as uh, head of sustainability. I appreciate you and thanks so much for being with me here today. Thanks very much for having me, John. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for participating in this episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player and follow us on our social channels. You'll see Golf Sustainability on uh, LinkedIn. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for being with us today and look forward to seeing you on our next episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Thanks and have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Take action on the ideas inspired by this episode. You can find out more about golf sustainability in the show notes for each podcast episode and following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player, and we'll see you soon on another episode of the Golf